0: Driven to fail is part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. This is such a cool thing to be able to say, so I just have to say it. John Coletti saved the Ford Mustang in the 1990s and early 2000s. Coletti ran; he basically built ford's special vehicle team he grew it into a standalone business from almost nothing justifying and helping birth a remarkable collection of projects cars that everyone remembers in addition to that mustang moment he achieved the development programs that led to the second generation f-150 lightning the svt focus the cobra r and cobra terminator mustangs and finally the car he's most proud of the 2004 ford gt supercar Khalid retired now, but he spent 33 years in Dearborn. And yes, he was essentially responsible for saving the rear-drive Mustang in the early 90s when cost cuts meant it was due to be replaced by the front-drive Ford Probe. That's the nature of car making. It's always a battle, always a series of negotiations. You win some, you lose some, and you spend a lot of time figuring out how to turn losses into wins. This show is all about that sort of thing. On this podcast series, we examine what happens when things go wrong in the world of cars, what we learn when we fall down, how we use that knowledge to get better, and how getting back up helps make us who we are. I'm Sam Smith. I'm a journalist and a club racer, and I love stories. Welcome to Driven to Fail. I want to start with. I've, I've long had this fascination with how car companies make decisions. The fact that most of the process is rooted in, like it, 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 it spreads across all different types of companies, but car companies in particular, because of what they build. At the end of the day, if the thing they're building is any good, there is some intangible appeal to it, right? You know what's it's there, and more important, you know when it's, it's missing. Uh, there's, there's an old quote that our producer Mike has heard me trot out a thousand times since originally written about movies, right? The idea that there's so much that has to go into any given film to make it even happen, that it's amazing that good movies exist at all, right? Because any, any movie, just like any, any new car, any vehicle, anything that costs that much money, that many moving parts, literally and figuratively, there's so much to go wrong. So You've been into cars since you were young. You street raced for years. You grew up from a very young age near Detroit. What did you think straight out of school when you got into the business? Did you have any idea of just how complex it was? How, how much can go wrong when
1: you're, you're trying to build something worthwhile? Well, when I first started out, uh, in college, I was, uh, I became a mechanical engineer with the you know prospect of actually joining one of the auto companies. And, uh, I was just happy to get a job to be honest with you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, we come from a very poor family and to be hired by one of the big three was just was super. Okay. I will tell you that my original preference was to uh, join Chrysler, but they never gave me an offer. Okay. So I ended up, uh, and what would happen in those days were I went to Wayne state university for my uh, bachelor bachelor's degree the auto companies would just come in and buy up the whole class of mechanical engineers. Okay. And I didn't get a, I didn't get an interview at Chrysler three of my good friends all went to work at Chrysler. And, uh, and then I wasn't, I didn't get any, uh, no GM interview, no Ford interview. And I thought, Oh my God, I was really, I was really qu- quite upset. And then it was, uh, I think it was like December 19th or something. Cause I graduated, uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, I got a call from Ford. They wanted to do an interview. Well, at that point I was kind of hard up, (laughs) I was feeling feeling like I was left behind. And I ended up taking that, uh, uh, that interview and I started working at Ford on January uh, 2nd of the, uh, 1972. So, and I was, and then, and then i i i thought it was kind of funny because uh the how i got right. uh the job my supervisor finally told me because of my kind of like uh i was a little gritty street wise okay I wasn't your uh polished uh college kid at the time yeah and uh my first assignment believe it or not was uh follow a j Foyt around in the and old- you'll That was my first, and they said, uh, I said, well, why'd you guys pick me? And he said, well, he's already gone through three engineers, (laughs) (laughs) kind of chewed him up because he's pretty, he's a pretty tough character, right? And we figured uh, a streetwise gritty guy like you might be able to survive.
0: Okay. So we'll, I want to get back to that in a second. Cause that, that whole part of your career that you, you were, you know, basically the auto light motorsport rep in a lot of ways you traveled around with spark like spark Ford. plugs, yeah. Autolite
1: spark plugs. Yeah.
0: Right. You traveled around with guys like Foyt and Andretti and, and there's, there's, there's a lot to mine there, but getting back to, so when you, when you showed up at Ford, did you, did you have any idea of how, how cars got
1: built, how the process. No, anyway? no, absolutely not. It, it, it was, it was, first off uh, the bureaucracies that these big companies create yeah they have got all the jobs down to such a, a microscopic i mean you you are actually pigeonholed into you know i was doing spark plugs yeah okay but even worse than that i didn't get the whole spark plug i used i used to uh, have a good time with my senior engineer i says i remember uh <laughs> When they increased the gap from uh, thirty-two thousands to forty-four thousands, I says, "Geez, my my responsibility now has gone up thirty-five percent." I said, "The gap on the spark plug's bigger." That's all I had was the air gap. I said, "You got to be kidding me!" Er.
0: <laughs> I mean, so it wait, is. A,
1: you you have such every person has such a small piece of the action. Yeah. That you never see the big picture. I mean, so nobody. Wait, so
0: wait, so there was like. There was like an insulator guy. There was a, a tip guy. There was yeah, an air gap guy. It, All of it.
1: Like, yeah, I'm telling you, it was it's, <laughs> it's 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 broken down to such a, a small level, and you end up being put in one, you know, you end up with a, one piece of responsibility in yeah. a component, and that component is part of a subsystem, and then that subsystem is part of a bigger system, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing until it becomes a car. <laughs> Which when you think about it that way, it goes back to the movie thing, right? It's kind of
0: amazing that, you know, yeah. any, any of it happens at all. So, so you start your career at Ford doing that and you're traveling around, like I said, working with guys like Andretti and Foyt and Foyt famously, you know, was the guy was a porcupine is a porcupine and he's prickly.
1: And there's a lot of, a lot of rules and, and things are dealing with him. but what's that? Let me say something positive about him. Cause he, yeah, he can, he can be, he can be. We were I went to the Phoenix race, the Phoenix 150, and I think it was April. That's where USAC used to start the season. Yeah. And, you know, Andretti, Mark Donahue, uh, unsers everybody. I mean, during the during that week, I here I am, I got to meet all the legends, right? I mean, they're all there. And while all the other guys would sit there, you know, up against the guardrail, talking to their mechanic who was working on the car, you know yeah. where Foyt was? He was under the car, uh, wrenching his own car. I mean, he would be, he would be yelling out, uh, get me this and get me that and all that stuff, you know, give me, but you know what? I, 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 I looked at that and I thought, uh, coming, coming from a street guy, cause that's yeah. what I, I, I grew up in the streets in Detroit coming from a uh, street guy. I thought that was impressive. I mean, Andretti was a good looking guy, you know, nice suit, you know, nice uh, clothes on and everything else, but he didn't have any grease on his fingers. <laughs> whereas aj he was under the car i love yelling I love his that, brains out
0: <laughs> i love that the guy's whole story is basically i mean it, it it's like the definition of of what happens in the mid-century if you try and get lucky and then try harder and just never stop trying yeah, right yeah, you yeah. know even on on, on into how Lady stayed in champ car in the 90s you know how he was a fairly large guy cramming himself into a you know thousand horsepower turbo champ car i mean it, yeah. it's 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 a hell of a thing, but so, so given, given your background, so you ended up doing that. And then from there you ended up moving into, you know, a couple of books told me that you spent time in, uh, Ford's stillborn turbine and rotary programs. And Well,
1: here, here let me give you, let me give you what happened. Uh, yeah, so please. in 1973, Ford got out of racing. We had the big emission crunch, right? And it just, you know, and the, uh, the company just flat out canceled a lot racing. Okay. Which kind of put me out of work. But I loved engines, but at the time there was an engine experimentation era going on, wankles turbines, Proco. And to me, they were all, you know, just, I was fascinated by the technology and it was interesting. And you wanted to get into something new. I got the, as a matter of fact here, you know, what these two are, I got them on my desk here, plugs, but one, okay. This one here. I was able to abscowl from the GM Wankel in 1973.
0: So he's holding up, if you're not watching the video, he's holding up a small canister that's got a tiny... This, is the,
1: AC, this is the AC plug that came out of the... Uh, and it had what they call an annular, an annular gap. In other words, there's okay. no electrode on the end. Yeah. Anyhow, so for the... For the uh, I got onto the Wankel engine, uh, the Wankel program, and I developed this one. This was, this was my first design ever. Okay. And... I can't tell you how I got a hold of the GM one because espionage in those days was kind of <laughs> interesting. But I got a hold of one, and right. here's and here's the and here's the Ford response. So that ended up going under the Ford Wankel. Now neither one of the engines actually ever made it into production, but it was it was it was interesting as hell at the time. But it's it's this whole period, right? Where where the the definition of you know it's kind of
0: like now, right? And in, in terms of what how the definition of the automobile was in massive flux after being somewhat stagnant for several decades. And so you had, you had companies like Ford taking a serious look at, like I said, turbines and rotaries and, and, and all of that, you know, those, those programs were inevitably shut, eventually shut down, but given, given your background and, and having come out of the racing program a little, did any of that work change how you, how you thought about engineering or building things for a living or like, how did you, How did you look at learning in that period?
1: Well, my thing, my thing, what was driving me at the time, obviously uh, I loved engines. Yeah. And here I am in the spark plug area. I ended up getting my first uh, management position. a senior engineer in the ignition system area, but I knew that I wanted to be in the engine group. If I was going to make a difference, I said, I got to get into one of the engine groups. Okay. I had a really nice job in ignition. I, I could have, It was very comfortable. What do you mean a really nice job in ignition?
0: Because most people hear that and they're like, "Eh, eh, "What?" I had
1: (laughs) I had vendors. I could have done vendor lunches all day long, uh, golf outings, uh, parties. I mean, this was because I was in 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 a decision mode, and and what happens is in those days, all the suppliers they're always trying to get in with the management, right? Okay, and. It was, it was a, it was a, like I say, it was a very comfortable position. You could, I could have been lured into it for the rest of my life, actually. But I thought to myself, this, this is not what I worked for. I want to do something a little, I want to, you know, comfort is great, but I wanted to do something else. So anyhow, I ended up asking for uh, a transfer to one of the uh, 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 engine groups and they told me, well, you're going to need a master's degree for that so i said all right so i went off and got a master's degree in engineering then they transferred me okay and i ended up with this really crummy job okay but it, it was uh in program control they called it which was it was almost an audit group for the rest of the engine uh, i didn't actually get into an engine system group i was gonna the, say what what does that mean because uh, well, our Chief Engineer, I got to work very closely with the Chief engineer of all the engine groups, okay, and um, he would he I would have to set up the meetings with the groups and keep the programs new programs on track for for cost, power, performance, fuel economy, weight, all the all the all the metrics that are important to an engine system right and while i it was really kind of a crummy job because everybody hated me, <laughs> nobody wanted to be on the agenda. And when I called, they'd say, uh, you know, it was, it was like uh, your proctologist calling, right? Wait, so they hated you or they hated the oh, They hated, yeah. If I, if I called, they they just hated, hated <laughs> a call from me, you know? I mean, that was the kind of job you had. Yeah. So, uh, but, but the good, what ended up happening, I just kind of, you know, kept doing my best, right? Yeah. And I was exposed to the, uh, to the management and uh, eventually they made, uh, they made me what they call a cheap program analyst and, on tr- uh, the truck programs. And I got, uh, I got to work with the truck office and, uh, you may not know this, but we were actually successful in putting fuel injection on the Ford trucks before the cars had it. Right. right, Okay. Cause then I think it was 19, um, I guess 84, 85. I mean, it's yeah. going back a ways now you're talking almost 40 years ago, but, right. uh, the truck office said, what's the best fuel system you guys got? And I said, well, that's port injection. Well, let's do it. Okay, Even though it was very expensive at the time. And, uh, and then what happened is working with the truck office, I said to myself, you know what? Just the same motivation that I had to get to an engine group, Yeah, I said the really good stuff is at the vehicle office. And that was across the street from us. In other words, get on a vehicle program. It's nice right. to be in the engine program, but you want to be on a vehicle program. But then they told me you need an MBA for that. So I went off and got an MBA. I asked for a transfer. sure enough, I get over there. And then I end up with another crummy job. <laughs> you know what cafe planning manager is?
0: I do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. At the time? Right. And you want to talk, did they hate me when I used to call them at the other job? You should see what it was like. I, I actually had a hate mail board in my office. So, for people who don't
0: know, CAFE is corporate average fuel economy, right? Yeah, and and, but, and it's something every corporation, every car company, worries about because the balance, it, it, it's almost like accruing yeah. a set of points, right? To yeah. be to be legal, and you have to meet a certain average. Yeah. And your job was basically, it was it, yeah, it sounds to, like yeah. get
1: on everybody's case, get on the get on the program <laughs> team's case. Hey, you guys got to take six pounds out, or get this out, or get out. You know, I mean, it was just anyhow. So, like I, I I said, I did that for about. Uh, a year and a half. So my yeah. reward for getting the MBA was to get this captain. And I always look I always look at it as I, I, I had to go to hell before I got to heaven, right? Kind of thing, you know. Right. So so let's get to that. So so in what was it 87, 88? They make yeah, you right. the, yeah, 80, yeah, 87,
0: 88. They make you the design manager for, for three cars for the tempo, the escort, and the Mustang. And, and oh
1: yeah, that is, was yeah, that was eighty-eight. I yeah. got a call, yeah. My uh, Ken Dabrowski, uh came down to my office as cafe plant and i thought uh, ken was an old he was an executive engineer but he was an old friend of mine from powertrain and he just came in sat down and said uh john what i'd like you to do is uh he says we'd like to we'd like to make you the design manager for the temple like you just said the temple yeah. the uh the old escort and the mustang Right. Now you got to keep in mind at that time, all three of these were what they call sunset programs. Yeah. They were set to be killed. Right. The next few years, like dead, which means that after all these, you know, quote unquote crummy
0: jobs and you get your MBA and you come back and now they're like, here, take these things that are dying. But you know
1: what? It was still better in cafe (laughs) planning. So it was a step in the right direction. right, Right. So I, I, I was, I said, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And and then and then uh so I started doing that. And of course, like like you say, they were all sunset programs. So it was really kind of managing as as they died, managing them to their grave. Okay. Yeah. But the Mustang was interesting. We got a new ex- uh, uh group vice president at the time that came over from England. His name was Alex Trotman. Right. And our company, Ford, had determined that the Mustang had you had that was it. It was gonna you know the 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 fox body as you know it yeah was gonna die in ninety two but we get this uh Brit come over Scottish guy Scottish guy Alex Chapman. and he was we we can we gotta see what we can do about the Mustang <laughs> so he gets Dabrowski aside apparently in some meeting yeah and he says we need he says we need a fresh eyes approach to this Mustang he says you guys is uh, you guys keep telling me what we want. We can't afford and what we can afford. We don't want <laughs> in terms of program content, you know? Right. So he said, we need a fresh eyes. Look at. It. So one day Dabrowski calls me into his office. Cause I had the Mustang right this time. And he explains the situation. He says, you want to take a shot at it? And I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. I, w- I was quiet, which is unusual for me actually. <laughs> and I, uh, Because I was thinking, are you giving me a chance to do the new Mustang? This is unbelievable. I mean, I've had this—I've had this career, a really crummy job. (laughs) So anyhow, so he, you know, I must have had like a pregnant pause or something. And he finally said, "Well, do you want the job or not?" I said, "Ken, I'd be honored." Think about it. You—you want to get back to your failure concept, right? What's the worst that could happen to me, right? I mean, I'm do I'm constantly doing that assessment, you know, do I, uh, you know, what happens if it goes this way or what happens if I goes that way? Well, if I succeeded that you know, that was, that was probably the low percentage outcome. And if I failed, it wouldn't be any worse than the guys ahead of me. Everybody else failed ahead of me trying to save the car. So it's the worst that could happen. Right. <laughs> it wasn't fatal bottom line. Right. Right. So we took it on and we, we started and we created what they called the skunk works at the time. Yeah. And, uh, we ended up that that ended up being the program that uh, resulted in the '94 Mustang, uh, which we call the SN95
0: Mustang. Right. So that's that's an interesting moment, and I want to get back to that in a second. But what what I what I find really interesting about it is that there's this. In in the 70s and 80s, there was this this grand movement, this idea that you know the, the car business was changing forever, and a lot of these old ideas had to be kind of thrown away because of environmental controls and regulatory issues. And a lot of car companies felt that this the sea change meant walking away from the past, from these much-loved products that had defined the company. And in a lot of cases, there was usually, you know, one person or a group of people that spoke up and was like, wait, you know, this isn't this this new thing is great, but it's not what we do. We need to figure out a way to make this thing actually us. You know, Port, Porsche tried to kill the 911 and replaced it with the 928 before, you know. Peter Schutz, the the CEO, famously came back in and said, "No, you guys are going to keep going, right?" Mm-hmm. And and you had the same moment with the Mustang, where you know you and a handful of people were smart enough to help recompass the company and get back on track with what that car was and more important, could be going forward. And again, I want to get to that in a second, but. There's this this question that, that kind of orbits all of it how so many car companies, good ones, you know bad ones, there's no real discrimination, but they're so often blind to how the customers see them despite focus groups and surveys and you know obsession on all of those many levels in the bureaucracy. How does that how does that happen? Why do you think that is? There's a disconnect there because it's not just then it's all it's well, throughout history.
1: Well, first off, bureaucracies are created. Right, to eliminate any chance of a surprise or something unexpected, i mean I mean the whole idea is you know uh to keep everything the way it is. I mean that's the way bureaucracies are created and and that's true in government companies, large companies, everything I mean, and the whole idea is you know you don't want surprises, right, so what do you do? You put in all this all this redundancy and all this uh procedural stuff in there to keep everything um you know. To keep surprises at bay. In other words, everything has to be very predictable. Well, if it's very predictable, you know what you're you're always going to end up with nothing really good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And I want to get you want to get back to one comment you made earlier. Is that how do you know, you know, here's here I am being asked to do a car. I've never done a car in my life. Yeah. I mean, a cars are complex in a big right. company, right? Right. And I remember looking for well, what's the process? I was always, I always had that curiosity. Well, h- how do you go about doing a car? And I went around the company looking, I couldn't find anything. I wanted to read up on it. You know, there's gotta be a manual. There's gotta be a, you know, here's a, here's the ABCs to doing Ford cars. I mean, you got you know, somebody has got to have written something right. down on this. Right? right. And I never could find it. And then one day I came across this old guy and he had a thing called the DAP DAP. The design approval process. And I remember getting a copy of this thing and I looked at it and I mean, I walked away thinking to myself, you know what, I'm either too stupid to understand this or this is more (laughs) complex than anybody could ever figure. I mean, this is just, I mean, this is, what did it look like? It was just a binder of, of like a thousand rules or what? I bet you it was, I don't know, a couple of hundred pages, (laughs) flow charts and this and that and everything else. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I'll never be able to figure this out. I don't know how the car, I actually, at that point figured out, I says, I don't know how the company does. <laughs> I mean, they I'm, don't I'm looking, either. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised the company actually can actually do this. Right. Right. You know, that's right. that complex. And, uh, and the reason I brought this up back to you is we were coming back from, uh, we were coming back from England on a company plane and I'd had a couple of drinks <laughs> and my planning manager, Ron Micholli was whipping. And you know how we, design. you know, we didn't pay, we didn't pay attention to anything in the designer. It was so too complex to understand. Okay. Yeah. So what we did is I asked the cocktail, uh, the stewardess for a few cocktail, uh, napkins and we laid them out on the seat in front of us. And we said, well, look, <laughs> if we're going to do a new car, this is job one here. Yeah. Right. And he says before, and we start, we just drew this out on about five napkins with an ink pen, you know, just to after having a few drinks and that became the timing plan for the new Mustang. We had never done a car program before, but we knew this is where we ended it had to end up. So rather than yeah. doing what the car company did saying before we actually go into a car program, we got to assemble all these engineers. We got to do all this stuff and everything you know, they do right. They would front end load it and then work their way towards the end. Yeah. We started at the end and went backwards <laughs> and it was a very simple, it was a very, it, it, I said, well, you know what? This should work. It looks pretty easy to me. And which that's how like, we did. Yeah, which is, it, it, it's funny, right? Because, you know, on the
0: one hand, wh- how, how difficult could it be? And then you go do it and you don't know how difficult it is. Describe, and you probably wouldn't have done it if you had known how difficult it was. Describes everything from like having kids to building new cars. But on the other end, you know, I, we, we orbit this topic a lot on on this show is the idea of, you know, so so often it's, it's figuring out which rules you can break and which rules you can't break. Yeah. And sometimes not knowing the difference is, is really a strength. And you know, the Mustang, the Mustang story in itself is so great in that moment that the whole Mustang story is great, but the Mustang story in that moment is great because, you know, there were, there, there was, there was a lot of structure in place to, to have the car end up a certain way. So, you know, for people who don't know, so you show up and, you know, the, the replacement for the car for the Fox body was, Supposed to be the Ford, something like what, what turned into the Ford probe, basically. Small, yeah, it was, engine, it was a Mazda. It was a Mazda. Yeah, right. And, you know, as you said, the real issue was programmably liked, couldn't afford, programmably Ford didn't like. So, there's all this stuff that happens. You set up a secret skunk works to lo- work on a low cost rear drive version of the car. And that's the car that ended up being the SN95, the, the new Mustang that came out in the early 90s, off of a, you know, a modded and tweaked and poked version of the Ford Fox body. And, People inside the company are opposed to it. A lot of management doesn't know. Trotman finds out, you know, you're given, you're given kind of a tentative leash to make this happen. And you said, I, forgive me, cause I love this, but you said at one point that they expected you to fail. And the worst that you, that could happen, you said the worst that could happen is that you met their expectations. Yeah. So that's, that's such a rare approach, but more important, how did it feel in that moment? Right. you, this giant weight lens in your lap. You get what you wanted. You figure out, okay, we could do this. And yet you also know it could all very easily go to hell. I mean, how you just not, you can't think about it, but at the same time, you can't not think about it,
1: right? Well, I, I like I said earlier on, uh, when it first was uh, given to me, it was a period yeah. of euphoria because, I mean, think about it. The Mustang at the time was a legend, a legendary uh, brand. And I mean, I thought to myself, you mean a little guy from me from the East side of Detroit is getting a shot at this, right. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, Ford's got a lot smarter people than me. I mean, you know, a lot more experienced people than me. Why, you know, why do you pick me? Well, it, once I got over that, I said, I was just happy to get it. Okay. Um, uh, but then, but then you start the realities and the challenges start surfacing because there are quite a few of them, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and every one of them, it, it required a lot of, uh, effort to, uh, you know, you get scared. You're saying, you know, you, I, I, cause I don't want to fail. I didn't yeah. want to fail on anything. So the, as the challenges started arising, you just, it was like, uh, what's that game, uh, whack mole or something where you, you know, every time one it, stuff just it, keeps popping up, it just right. keeps popping right. up. I mean, unbelievable. You know, every week we, 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 we did, we'd get our group together. Cause we initially we'd meet Tuesday nights in my, uh, Office at night after hours. yeah and it was That's all there was never any good news it was always something it was what? always something it was always something bad
0: give me give me an example of of like an ordinary wednesday night bad i mean what was it you know game changing stuff or just you know, we got to get through this now
1: uh, how did that work uh <laughs> it's just so many oh, it's okay so many, no by. there was just so many for example uh uh, on the engine, on the engine front, you know, the emissions, the guys were telling, well, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. You know, I was told that 225 horsepower was the end of the box on five liters, <laughs> you can't do it. I'm sorry. What really? No, that's what they said. The powertrain guy said, that's the end. You know, Holy you can't hell. do any. And I thought to myself, I says, come on guys. I says you, you're, you know, cause at the time I was also interfacing quite a bit with the SEMA people, you know? Yeah. I says, everybody's, everybody's sporting more than 225 horsepower. Come on. We got to get with the program guys. You know, oh no, that's it. You know, emissions, you know, they gave me all the emissions and this and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, they, all the reasons that can happen. And I had that on the body front and the interior. I had that on the fuel system. I had every, they only bring bad news to you on all the different fronts. Why the things that can't be done and you got to over, and you got to overcome all of them. But we finally, uh. Uh, on the engine front, uh, I said, okay, well, fine, we'll stay at 225 horsepower. You know what they came in and told me next? <laughs> well, actually, uh, John, all we can do in 94 is 215. I says, come Out on, of guys. a five liter V8. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, you mean to tell me the same hardware that you've been mm-hmm. on the Fox body was 225? And I'm talking about the same intake, same camshaft, same. Yeah. The same engine. I put it in the SN95 and it can only do 215. Oh yeah. That's all. <laughs> that's a lot. I says, could, could you guys explain that to me real slow again? Why <laughs> I mean, I'm using the same engine, but I get, I lose 10 horsepower. <laughs> and I mean, it's just that kind of stuff. And it used to drive, it, it would drive you crazy. Uh, but yeah, my sum it all up, it was a lot of challenges and, yeah. and every night I'd go home and I'd think, oh God. We're gonna lose it because of this. We're gonna lose it because of that. You know, rear end crash. You know, the fuel tank on the Mustang was behind the rear axle. Right. Well, you don't put you know, the whole the the only way to get around rear uh crash was to put the fuel tank ahead of the axle, you know, like on the on the Thunderbird, the, the day all the new the so-called new modern cars were all the tanks were, yeah. were located yeah. elsewhere. And I said, wait a second, guys, why can't we, you know, because I was trying to save cost and program investment and use as many carryover parts as possible. I says, why can't we go ahead and reinforce the area around the fuel tank so that the tank doesn't crush when the rear, when the car gets hit? Well, we haven't done that before. <laughs> well, I understand you didn't do it before, but why can't we do it now? <laughs> you know, so we, you know, we, we, we went off and we did a little pro, you know, a few experiments on that. We ended up coming up with a, a system. Where the tank didn't collapse when it got rear-ended. Well, guess what? If the tank doesn't collapse, it doesn't burst. I e you pass.
0: That's that's so all of this is so indicative of the system, right? The stuff you described earlier. That that you know, the bureaucracy and the stages and the layers, that's all there to keep anything unexpected from happening, to keep the aircraft carrier from running on the rocks, right? You know, because companies yeah, move
1: I, slowly in turn. I'll but- even give you, I'll even give you a better one. Yeah. <laughs> The old Fox, if you look at it, the yeah. old Fox Mustang is in, in, uh, on the uh, uh, deck lid. Yeah. has what they call a gooseneck uh, system, you know, the open and close it. Yeah. And, and they told me on the new car, I couldn't have a convertible because there's no place for the gooseneck the way we had designed the car. Yeah. I say, you guys got to be crazy. I'm, I'm going to have a new Mustang and not have a convertible model. Well, there's no place to put the gooseneck, right? So then I go off one day. I, w- I, I was in LA or something. And I ended up uh, running a Toyota. And it had a to, Toyota. If you, I opened up the, the you know, I, I was always I looking at competitive cars, you know, for... And it had this little, uh, like, scissor, little lever action. They didn't have goosenecks in the deck lid. And I said, well, why can't we use this? This solves the problem. There's no, you know, in other words, I can go... So I bring it back and I was told, uh, now this is Toyota uses it worldwide, right? Right. But they told us, no, nah, won't work it here. Won't work on the Mustang.
0: <laughs> but that's, that's the thing, right? Those structures are set up to make everybody be okay with what's there. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're in the position of trying to do anything new within that, within that structure... All you get is people telling you, you can't, it's wrong. It's wrong. So how, how do you, how do you stay positive in all that? I mean, if it's literally once a week that you're getting a raft of things, how, how do you, how do you keep your head up there?
1: Well, you gotta, you gotta keep, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep questioning. Yeah. And you gotta keep questioning. You no, know, like for example, it so, says, well, why can't we do this? You know, like on the, uh, right. on the latch on the deck, let latch or the uh, hinge. And well, I won't, won't do this. I won't do that. I said, but guys, Toyota uses it for God's sakes, you know, they, you know, they use this thing worldwide. Why can't we do it? And and, long, long story short, you had to get, you had to get, you know, because it wasn't invented here, NIH, you know, they're not invented here syndrome. Uh, but eventually they ran out. Yeah. I kept asking. I kept asking. I wore them down bottom line. Yeah. And now that system is standard and it's been standard on Mustangs and Fords for the last 30 years.
0: <laughs> is it, is it common for people in those environments to, I mean, if you're constantly faced with somebody saying, you can't do this, you can't do this. This is why, I mean, after a while, you know, people fall into one of two camps or are they going to keep asking questions and stay positive and work towards something or eventually you just get ground down and you're just, you, I mean, is that. It, it, is it more common to get ground down than not? Because people, you know, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people do get ground down. I mean, the, the I guess what I'm getting at is, is, you know, you have a raft of cars that came out of your division and the division you built, by the way, mm-hmm. right. This business that you made viable, you have a raft of cars that came out of it that all evoked, you know, a certain kind of passion and, and, and care and, and that you cared about certain things. and, <laughs> And yet, you know, most most performance divisions, most car companies don't have intense periods of you know, greatest hits like that. And which, you know, since they're all kind of built the same way, it just it, it it's this weird moment where you look at it and you're like, oh man, most of it must just be full of people eventually just being like, Man, it's Thursday. I gotta go home. I, I can't fight this battle anymore. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Which is kind of amazing because on the one hand, you think about what's at stake. On the other hand, you you really have to remember that it really is thousands of people all having those moments where they're just showing up and that fighting the fight, you know, it it takes a, takes a lot of patience, but yeah.
1: You know, it takes a lot out of you too. I mean, when you got to confront, uh, you got to confront that every day, uh, what ended up happening after we successfully launched the Mustang, uh, in 94, uh, I was hoping to get onto another car program, right. And do something. The next thing you know, now they, uh, they uh, shuttle me off to a group called SVE, Special Vehicle Engineering, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, "Come on, guys! You know, you know." Three times Neil Neil Ressler was the vice president at the time. Three times he uh, he uh, he talked to me about it. Uh, the first time I said, "No, I'm not interested." Come on, you know. I mean, that group's not not a real group. <laughs> you know what i'm saying
0: <laughs> so this uh, is this yeah. is basically what evolved out of svo right out of ford's performance yeah, well, division that the walter well, no, S- up, right? svo
1: was part of the, uh you know that was like f- turned into ford racing svo okay. all yeah. right uh he had a second uh meeting with me and i was still resisting and i didn't want it and then at the third meeting he says look you have no choice you're taking the job
0: <laughs> all right so, they, asked you th- wait, they asked you three times? Yeah. The third time
1: it- wasn't an ask, though. The third time <laughs> was a tell. So I ended up doing that, you know, because apparently uh, uh, the forces, you see what happened with the SN95. We we upset a lot of apple carts when we did that program. Internally, you mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I could tell you horror stories. I mean, all the people that were mad about that. Because we, we uh, well, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, at the time, um, uh, uh, we, we went, uh, you know, the due to do the must do the Mustang program, we needed body engineering, right. And the body engineering told us that, uh, they were full and there, they didn't have enough capacity to work on the Mustang. Well, that's kind of a showstopper. You know, if you don't have body engineering, now you're going to get the car done, you know? Right. So my planning manager at the time, Ron Micholli. He says, body engineering, I can get anywhere. <laughs> so he says, I, he set up a meeting with four or five companies in Europe. So we went to Europe looking for a body engineering company that work on the new Mustang. Well, can you imagine these companies over there thinking <laughs> Ford's going to outsource body engineering. I mean, they were all, they're salivating, right? Right. I mean, the Mustang, right. they recognize Mustang is a big deal in Ford. And here's yeah. these two, here's these two guys from Ford, they're out you know, canvassing what's available in body engineering world outside of Ford. Yeah. Right? And so we went out and we looked at five companies. Uh, Giorgetto Giugiaro, who was uh, part of IED at the time, you know, he was uh, he was a design guy. Body was the engineering guy there. There was an IED, was in here. Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, ITEL Design was, was the name of the uh, company. Hmm. Anyhow, so we went through we went through all the companies, and we finally put a request for quote out through purchasing. And you you swear a nuclear bomb went off in the company. <laughs> I got you wanted to take it outside. Well, yeah, I got called in. I got called into the <laughs> vice president, and he says, "What the hell are you doing?" I says, "Hey, we asked the body engineering guys to work on the Mustang." You know, we told them what our time, you know, we put in all the normal yeah. paperwork, all the normal requests. And they said they don't have the capacity. So, and Trotman wants me to do new cars. So I said, we needed to have body engineering. So we figured if they don't want to do it internally, we'll just go outsource it. <laughs> I just made the decision. You know, I guess I was supposed to ask before I did it, but we just made right, the decision right. to go outsource. And long, long story short, that just, that was not going to fly. Cause when it got all the way up to the CEO of the company at the time. Yeah. What do you mean you're outsourcing the Mustang? <laughs> right. And one that have one that uh what ended up happening was there was a program called the Win eighty eight, which was the Winstar. You may remember the uh yeah, the uh, minivan. The minivan. Yeah. That was outsourced and the Mustang was brought back inside. Well, the guys at body engineering were not happy about that outcome. I mean, I there was a lot of people that were very angry at our team, you know, because oh. they were
0: Because it hadn't been done because it, or because it
1: was going outside the company or both? No, because they were working on the win 88 (laughs) program Yeah, and they told us that they were at capacity and couldn't handle another program. Then we come along and tell them, well, you're shuffling this one off that you've got, I don't know, it was, it was 40, 50% done. Shuffle this one. Now outsource this one and bring Mustang back in. (laughs) Uh, That, you know, bureaucracies don't like those kinds of surprises. (laughs) Anyhow. So we had a lot of that. Okay, they so we touched
0: we touched briefly on on SVO, which you know was kind of sort of Ford's in-house performance division yes. until it became not and
1: was replaced by SVT, which was something entirely different. Well, there but, was a gap there where there was nothing for a while,
0: right? Yeah, but so SVO is interesting because in in the United States, it basically resulted in in one car. It resulted in an SVO version of the Fox oh, the Mustang, Mustang. Yes. turbo four cylinder. Didn't there are people who love it? Didn't do as well in the market as hoped, um, but. There's, there is a definite difference in approach between how the company looked at SVO and how the company looked at SVT. And it's, you know, I mean, there is a one, one existed for a bit and produced a vehicle and wasn't quite a good fit and mutated into something else. And the other had this raft of hit after hit after hit, you know, there's a period of about 10 or 15 years where the cars you turned out, your division turned out were legitimately, you know. Legitimately among the best of the world, and it was capped by the Ford GT, right? Which you know you famously called the you know the kind not the best thing you've ever done, but probably your favorite, right? A hell of a crowning thing to go out on, right? Yeah, yeah. So what what makes the difference in how when you have two two performance divisions like that? And I understand they were in different eras, different people, different priorities, but you could see it from a thousand different companies. What? One, one thing that works in one era with one group of people will not work across town uh, with a different group of people with a slightly different change priority. Is there, when those things are set up in companies like Ford is, is, is how they are set up dictated by corporate culture or dictated by the people who set them up at the top. Right. So like when you come in, you can make SVT what you want, or you have to work to get it there over a long period of time.
1: Yeah. Well, uh when I first got, there, it was called Special Vehicle Engineering. When I first got there, sure, sure. for the first couple of years, um, I wasn't happy with what they were doing. One of the programs they had, uh, they were gold plating the uh, all the chrome on the on the mark. Yeah, and I said, "What the hell, is Special Vehicle Engineering? About this it was all kinds of oddball programs like that, real, real, real bad stuff." And I didn't see that as where I wanted to take the division. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if I got this job, I might as well. <laughs> try to do something decent with it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, the first big gamble program I ever took was the, uh, 95 Cobra R. <laughs> now we were getting our, uh, our butts kicked by the Camaros, uh, on the test on the tracks at the time. They had a bigger engine. They had a 350. Right. We got a, we had a 302. Yeah. Um, uh, we got a, a small 14 gallon gas tank and they got uh, a bigger one, but, Bottom line is we had a lot, guys tried to race the Mustangs, but weren't being very successful at it. So I thought to myself, I said, look, there's only one way we're going to be able to compete with a, a Camaro. We need a 350 cubic inch motor, you know, 351. Right. right. Well, we, um, there hadn't been a 351 in a Mustang for, I don't know, the past 15 years or something, 15 or 20 years. Right. But we were still making the 351 Windsor at, at uh, our uh, Windsor engine Plant. So I got together with the guys. We would just huddle around, you know, get my, guy, my, my, my my guys together. And we would just huddle around and start saying, well, look, if we're going to, if we did a new Cobra R, uh, we're going to need a 351 motor. There's, well, you can't put a 351. There hasn't been one in it. You know, all the reasons why. Uh, the other problem is with a 351, we're going to need a much bigger gas tank. Well, we can't afford to certify a, ga- a, a gas tank big enough. We haven't got that kind of, you know, resources to be able to put a program in place to go, you know, certify uh, for rear crash on a gas tank. Anyhow, but we finally decided we built the car, a prototype. We would always start with a built a prototype and convince ourselves what we had was good. Okay. Okay. And that, that, that's kind of a rallying point for the team. They actually see hardware. It's not just paper. It wasn't just us talking around a table. So we built the car. And everybody kind of liked it. You know, I said, oh yeah, this car's pretty, this car, this this would work. This would Mm -hmm. work. And on the gas tank thing, we knew we needed a bigger tank, but we didn't have the resources to to fund the program to actually uh, make a bigger tank work. And I said, well, why don't we just put a fuel cell in there? fuel cell, I mean, the whole idea of a fuel cell is you crunch it and it doesn't explode. Let me guess. somebody said you can't do that. Well, <laughs> n- we've never done it, was that answer? Right, right. Because
0: right? it's a production so, car.
1: Yeah. 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 That's so anyhow, make a long story short. I had to work out a deal with the engine plant manager at Windsor. I went to see his name was Side the Sharm. Nice guy. And when I told him what I wanted, because we were we we went through the Ford Racing catalog and put together these heads with this camshaft, you know, we just, based on our best judgment, put together an engine that we wanted. Yeah. And Cy said to me, he says, yeah, all right. He says, so when do you want, when do you want to build these engines? Now he's thinking like in 18 months or two years, you know, because you go through all the normal hoops. And I said, we're, we were thinking too in the next two weeks. And he says, he's told me I was crazy. And I said, well, that may be true. I said, but can you do it? And he looked at me and he says you're serious i said yeah i'm serious right so he says uh he said i'll tell you what we got a warehouse two blocks away in windsor he said if you assemble all the parts there and i mean all the parts we'll build the motors for you so so i got the guys i went back told the guys let's get all the parts together yeah so, I, I go I, on the day that we were supposed to have had all the parts. I go over to Windsor with Steve Anderson. He was my uh, program manager on it. We go to the warehouse and the place is empty. And there's a What did you expect? Wait, what did you expect to be there? I expected to see boxes and boxes of stuff <laughs> to build 250 cars. <laughs> and he says, uh, I asked the watchman, I says, what happened to all the parts that are supposed to be here? Oh, the plant came by this morning. It took them all over to the engine plant. Oh, all right. So we go over to the engine plant. You know, they had, they were excited. They wanted to build them. you know what they, ha- you know what they had, uh, in the, in these, uh, crib, in this crib area, they just had, uh, you know, eight, eight and a half by 11 sheets of uh, paper. And all it said was race car parts. Somebody wrote them on hand, race car parts. They were excited <laughs> to be doing this. You know, we're going to build 250 race car engines, right? Yeah. And, uh, all right. So we got that done. He built the engines. It was, we were trying to keep the program on the QT. And what what does he do? He invites the Windsor uh, star and the local TV station, the papers, and the B- I media. <laughs> oh Jesus, you know. So so then I ended up. I got all these engines. I had to get all these engines out of Windsor, just bring them over. We shuttled them over to Roush, uh, one of the Roush uh, facilities warehouses. And then I was talking to the, uh, uh, the plant manager at the Mustang engine, the uh, Mustang uh, assembly plant. And we found out that the plant manager was going on vacation. Uh and I talked to Wheeler Stanley, he was the assistant plant manager. He says, Well, we could build them during that week while he's gone. Because <laughs> Luke he said, Callaway will never go for this. I said, All right, so we ended up we ended up scheduling the build of the 250 cars while uh the plant manager is yeah. off in Puerto Rico on vacation. <laughs> So Friday I get a call from uh, uh Wheeler and he says, uh, he had all, I got a picture of it here somewhere. All 250 cars are built. Yeah. And they're <laughs> in the parking lot and they had arm. they had guards on, you know, watching these things. Right. And he, he calls me up. He says, Coletti, you got to get these goddamn things out of here. Calloway's coming back Monday. He sees this. There's, he'll have both our asses. So then I called Masco tech and we shuttled them all off. We, what was I Masco all, tech? I don't, I don't know the name. Uh, well, they're a, they're a, they're a. Just a another supplier. Yeah. Another supplier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and their, and their facility was over at the old Lynch road, Chrysler Lynch road facility. So we shuttled okay. all the cars. I had them pick up all the cars and get them out. Of. He said, <laughs> if Callaway sees these, he's going to go nuts. Right. And then we shuttled them all over there. And okay. So uh, they, so what they if, finished what? them, they finished them off because there was some hood work. They had to be done and a couple of yeah. other things, but my, the, the, the point of this whole story, it was all done. We knew what car we wanted. Yeah. Our team was convinced we had the right car. We had built a prototype, had run right. it and everything else. Now getting it through the system wasn't going to work right. the normal way. So we just went off and like I said, cut a deal with the plant manager at the Windsor engine plant, cut a deal with the vehicle, uh, <laughs> uh, system plant manager at, um, at, Dearborn, and then had to use a, a supplier in the outside Roush and this other supplier to yeah. finish the cars off which is
0: nice because like the company is definitely better off for having those things been made. Right. And well, and the legacy and like all of the history that came out of that whole process, you, you had not only the company, but the brand and the Mustangs best interests at heart. And you were probably the best guy in the country to be aimed at that problem. And everything about the system was set up to keep you from doing it
1: so much then, so that you had to go around it. And I it had to go around it. And then what ended up happening was, all the cars were sold. We, you know, yeah. we, we used uh the marketing guys used some kind of a uh fax system where you know certain dealers were told these cars are going available, send your fax, and and they went, they went right away. All the cars were gone, all 250. So about a week after the cars are all sold, right? My secretary, I came into the office. I was I, I just uh, walked in, I was at some other meeting. She says, John, there's a bunch of people in the conference room waiting for you. <laughs> We're all very angry. <laughs> anyhow, so I walk in there and there's about nine people in there, you know, <laughs> and they represented the automotive emissions office, uh, yeah. legal, all corporate staff people. And your stomach at your feet? How did you feel? Well, no, I I knew, the, you know, they were because I had violated a few uh, protocols on the way to putting this car out. <laughs> so anyhow, the big, the big, they started out with the big thing is you do know that you broke a corporate policy. Oh I no. said so, I'm thinking just one, but anyhow. <laughs> yeah. And he says, uh because the 351 Cobra R was a gas guzzler. Yeah. And he says, uh we have a policies, policy 109, you know, signed by sure. somebody, some CEO, one of the CEOs, that right. you, we don't Ford will not build the gas guzzler. And I said, wait a second. I said, we have Aston Martins. They're gas guzzlers. Jaguars are gas guzzlers. They were all part of Ford at the time. You know, I was looking at it. You know, they're all under the umbrella. Why is it only, only Ford can't be a gas code? Right. Yeah. You know, and he wasn't accepting that at all. He says, you broke a policy. And then they went on, everybody legal. Everybody else told me all the things. I mean, I just going around the room, guys, just telling you how you screwed up. <laughs> oh and God. You know what I did? I kept my mouth shut again, which is uncharacteristic. And then right at the end, I said, well, guys, I don't know what to tell you other than I'm sorry. And 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 the guy looks at me, I can't remember who the head guy was at the meeting, the legal guy. You're sorry. That's all you got to say? (laughs) I said, well, what do you want me to do? I says, guys, the cars are out and the dealers are already sold. What do you want me to do? I'm sorry. You know what they did? They packed up their bags bags and left. Okay. How? Because, because.
0: What any reasonable person would expect there is that you got canned or you had to fight for your job.
1: How did that? It just ended it? It just ended. (laughs) There are so many. I found out from that. I found out from that one is you remember the old saying about sometimes rather than ask for uh, approval?
0: forgiveness, that, not permission.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. Ask for forgiveness, <laughs> not permission. Ask, you'll never get permission. If I'd ask for permission, by the way, that program, we got it done from start to finish from the time we decided our gr- little group decided we were going to build that car to the time we actually yeah. built it. Nine months. There is no <laughs> program Ford Motor Company has ever done in nine <laughs> months.
0: So what, what I love about all of this and, and about so much of your whole story is just how much comes down to, and this is like true in, in a lot of modern car making or really making anything, but how much of it comes down to gut feelings and just saying, screw it. And, you know, flying the airplane as it sits, instead of sitting down there and staring at the map, right. And wondering where you're going to go or worrying about what's going wrong, but you know, those, so, so going back to those moments where you talked about how, you know, in order to feel out something, if you had, you know, a potential, you know, engine car combination or even, you know, suspension setup, something, you would build a prototype and look at it and drive it and decide if it was something you want to go forward, right. Which is another one of those. Those moments where you just knee jerk, yes, this is happening. Um, and and I wanna talk for a second, we're gonna get back to the Mustang because there's a bunch of really interesting cobra stuff, but I wanna talk for a second about um, something I read about the Ford Lightning and your reaction to the first one. So the first one did not happen under your tenure. The first Ford Lightning was a, I believe it was eighth gen F one fifty.
1: Yeah, it was um, a three, it was a three fifty one F one right. fifty. Yeah.
0: Right. With, you know, added power, suspension, um, you know, seats, a thousand other mm-hmm. things, handling signed off by Jackie Stewart, only offered for a couple of years, early 90s. And you were charged with making the truck that came after that, which is the lightning everybody remembers. It's the, you know, the, the new shape F-150 that kind of smoothed over. And it's the one that that made more of a dent culturally so you you go to truck shows before that that trucks even happened. you go to truck shows you talk to owners you find out that the people who bought the old lightning love it but you know internally they were telling you that's just not enough people they had decided internally at ford that the market didn't exist for the truck and that there was no reason to do another one and ford you know ford basically concluded it wasn't worth going forward with that and you you decided that it was different that you figured out or you 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 thought and you were right that people weren't buying the thing because yeah. they didn't like it. How did you, how did you know what Well, you got down that?
1: I'm going to take you back to our, in our staff meeting and we were looking for, what are we going to do next? Okay. And on the, on the lightning in particular uh, we said to ourselves, you know, if we did a truck, what, what hasn't been done before? Yeah. We didn't want to just do, because you know there was the big block four fifty four Chevy, and there was there was a lot of trucks. I mean, the Typhoon and all that stuff. I mean, think about a lot of performance vehicles that, for some reason, uh, didn't endure. Yeah. So there was you know the Typhoons; they were powerful in that, but the du- engine durability was terrible. I mean, I think every one of those failed those turbos, right? Just about everyone. We we sat around the table and we said, you know, if we're gonna do if we're gonna do, uh, what well, can we do this different? It hasn't been done before. And we, we were down to two options. The first option was a supercharged V8 full-size pickup. And the other option was a V8, a small compact truck. Okay. So what we did is we built prototypes of both, you know, like I said, you know, that that's the one thing we always did. We always, once we, we, we would talk about it, but we wouldn't go through a lot of paper analysis. We just built, we just built prototypes. Okay, well, let me stop you a sec. So, how
0: often? Just before we go any further, how how often did did you build something and then decide? Like, what's the ratio of of like it to don't like it? If you build five prototypes, how many of them for different? Well, we never
1: built five prototypes. What do you? Nuts? No, no, I mean
0: like oh, five that. different machines, right? So there's yeah. over you know a few years. What what's the hit rate on that stuff? Did most of them end up making it? Or well, I had a them? I
1: used to have a graveyard <laughs> and, uh, wall behind my uh, office door. Yeah, and the programs that didn't make it. For example, we did a one program was the CT uh, 120 uh, Turbo, which was mm-hmm. uh, the old. Uh, it was the old Escort, uh, but it, it wasn't the Escort. It was the um, ZX. Do you know it as the ZX2? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, we did a we were we did a Turbo Coupe of that. It didn't work. Uh, Paul Newman came in and told uh, Neil Wrestler, my vice president, he says, you know, you guys ought to do a sleeper station wagon, Taurus wagon. <laughs> So we put a Taurus show engine in a, right? Right. And after we built it and drove it, we said that ain't going to, that dog ain't going to hunt. So that ended up in the graveyard. There was quite a few. Uh, We did a uh, Thunderbird. Yeah. Uh, On the surface, it should have worked fine, but it didn't cut (laughs) the mustard when we actually built it. So, yeah, I would say we ended up with about nine programs on my, in the graveyard.
0: So how, how soon do you know, you set, you get in the thing and you know, in the first five feet, or, you know, an hour later after driving, Uh,
1: it's, it's our group was pretty, uh, what do you call opinionated? Yeah. (laughs) And the opinions that fly pretty early, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty quick. I mean, if, Hmm. if the car was, if the car had some problem or, you know, we didn't like it or it wasn't fast enough, uh, uh, we would, we would voice our opinion and it would, yeah. Unless we could fix it, you know, how do we overcome that problem? Uh, Well, you know, uh, you talk about, we knew right away, we built the, uh, when we were thinking about doing the 2003, we were given the program because the mainstream used to have the Cobra program. And then we uh, were asked to take it over. You know, there was, there is no 2002 Cobra. Yeah. Okay. So we were asked, uh, Bob Rui was the uh, group vice president of sales and marketing. He says, John, we, we want you guys to take over the Cobra design. All right. So we built the naturally aspirated Cobra, right? Yeah. And we were on a we were on one of our test trips evaluating it, and we were just south of Badwater, which is in Death Valley. And this thing was just it 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 was just not uh, turning this on. Okay. So then Andy Slinker pulls up alongside of me He has the SVT uh, Focus. He has it's his prote- one of your engineers, or yeah, he was one of my program managers for the Focus. Okay. And I said, I told him we were on this road so just south of Badwater. I says, well, let's, let's, let's do a second gear roll, you know, wide open throttle, you know, the yeah, sea. Right. Yeah. and when the focus pulled away from the Cobra, <laughs> you know, I was, I went livid. I right. was livid. I said, this is no Cobra. This is not even a goddamn garter snake. I said, you know, <laughs> this is it. We're not doing it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but in that case there, see, there was th- that case there. Everybody wanted to do a Cobra. Yeah. And the fact that this naturally aspirated thing wasn't going to work, the guys right on the spot said, Well, maybe what if we supercharge it? Because we had just done the supercharged lightning, right? Yeah. And I said, Well, let's build one. He <laughs> says, This thing, I said, I can't get behind this thing. This thing ain't going to work. This is an embarrassment. I said, As a matter of fact, I went into the gas station when there, there was a gas station down there uh, near I 15. I went in and brought, I bought a, you know what Apple dog food is? Yeah, I do. They had a yeah. six pan, they had a six, uh, six, uh, can pack. I bought it. I put it in the car. I said, this thing's, this thing doesn't even deserve the dog food. Mm. We're not doing it guys. We killed, I mean, we, at that point there was no Cobra. We, that pro that prototype was not going to fly. Yeah. But then the guy said, let us try. And that's, that's what ended up becoming a Terminator. Yeah. Right. When we supercharged it. Right. Okay, because so that's you sit there and say we were a really informal group with a heavy product focus. <laughs> everybody really wanted to do something special yeah something they could be proud of you know so, we weren't being driven by you know budget or you know the kind of things that normal bureau you know yeah. how many people we could have working for us and all that kind of stuff we were, the group was pretty the crew the group was uh pretty product focused which was which was uh You know, that's where you got to give the credit to. I mean, if it wasn't for that, uh, a lot of the products wouldn't happen, but that's, there's an example of the first prototype wasn't going to fly, but the group didn't want to give up on the Cobra. Yeah. Okay.
0: So before we go down the Cobra road, I just wanted to kind of wrap up the lightning thing. So how do you know, so, you know, you mentioned that the, the first lightning was, not a bad product but just not the product that was needed right and there's a difference between a good car it wasn't does-
1: a perfor- it was not a performance okay. my in my estimation it was not what you call a performance okay product
0: okay so so it's it's simply just it was
1: sporty it was sporty right and that's it okay
0: so it was simply just a, a case of you looked at it and it wasn't enough, right? It was that knee-jerk feeling.
1: It, it didn't so, excite. It didn't. It didn't excite you. I mean, it was. Yeah. I, I went. I drove it around. Yeah, it was. It was good on the handling course. It was good around everything. But, I mean, if, if I'm driving down East Side Gratiot and I can't take anybody on with it, it ain't going to beat anybody. Yeah. You know, it's just not yeah. going to. It's just not going to. It's just not going to impress. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so, so then, so then getting back to the lightning story. So we down, we're yeah. down to two products. We built, we built the Ranger and we built the, the F-150. Mm-hmm. The marketing guys insisted because they were all concerned about prior lightning, not uh, meeting their sales expectations. We did market research. I said, all right. So we went and we took these two products out and we did market research and both products I mean, every every customer that got out of, especially the the one the, that ended up being the, uh, the F-150, these customers would drive these cars and they just had smiles on their face from the ear to ears. I mean, this is one hell, you know, that car was just plush and powerful. It, I don't know if you've ever driven a 99 Lightning. Very nice.
0: Not a long time. I like it a lot.
1: But... Yeah. The Ranger was impressive too, but not, <laughs> didn't create as big a smile as the Lightning, uh, the, you know, the F-150 was, you know. Yeah, The other thing the Ranger had going for it, people were talking about canceling the compact truck. Right. So we didn't, we weren't going to have enough uh, years left on the cycle. You know, in other words, you you can't build a brand if there's no base vehicle to build on. Right. You know, the Ranger was going away. So you combine this, we called it the smile maker, you know, the, (laughs) the, you know, the the supercharged F-150 was just a smile maker. We knew it was going to be around the F one fifty the F series was going to be around. The Ranger was in question. So we went back and said, guys, we're going with the uh, we're going with the F-150. And it was our decision. And we yeah. just did it. And and the we, we used to have a group, uh, the people that would approve our programs were called the stakeholders. Yeah. It was all the corporate vice presidents. We can get them together at the test track. Yeah. And the way we would sell programs, unlike the normal people, the normal people would go through books and books and Reports and charts and graphs and everything else. You know what we do? We'd get the group together. We'd have the prototypes out in front. We'd explain to them what how we got to this decision. Right. We hand them the keys, let them drive it. They'd come back in and say approved or not approved. <laughs> it was it was not a it was not a paper intensive exercise. Yeah. Which was, from my standpoint, that's the way to do it. You know, <laughs> if you're building cars, you know, to impress people build the car and let the, the ultimate approvers decide. Yeah. Do I, do I want to, I want them to build this car or not.
0: We kind of have to call, talk about the Ford GT. It's the most well-known product from your time at the company, but it's also one of the things that hit emotionally the hardest for people outside, outside the Ford sphere, right? That that mm-hmm. car means something to people for whom performance Ford May not even register, right? It was this tide of this amazing time in company history, a reference back to when Ford was at the height of its powers, Lamont wins, all of it. But also, in a modern sense, it was this proof that the company could still do great world beating work at the highest level. You know, supercars are uh, a lot of people believe they're extremely easy to do because you have a giant budget, but they're easy and difficult in different ways, right? Yeah, and not in your head. So, one of the things you told reporters later on was that even if it's an echo of the thing you said earlier, right? Even if you failed, when you got that program, you knew you'd be no better off than if you hadn't tried it. But I, I got stuck on that with this car in particular, because you're, you're talking about a major manufacturer for its centennial, making a flagship halo car that everybody pays attention to What does failing even look like in that situation. You know, if that well, comes apart for you, how how does that work?
1: Well, here, uh, first off, if you're a car, a real car enthusiast, and you get a chance to work for an automotive company,
2: yeah,
1: and you have an opportunity to make some product decisions along the way, I contend to you that those those guys always want to do a supercar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, in my history, the first car we did was, do you remember the Mach Three? We did a two seat, yeah, uh, in '93. Yeah, I always wanted to do a, a supercar, right? Even though we were working on the Mustang, we, we went and did a Mach 3. Later on in 95, we did a thing called the GT90 concept car. Another yeah, two, I, with four turbos on a, right? right. V12, I, four turbos. I remember seeing it on the cover road and track and just yeah. losing my okay. mind. I was like okay. 12. I mean, <laughs> those were just crazy ideas that came out of my right. noggin, okay? And, we're, and I was able to pull it off. And then we come along and Bill Ford says for the centennial, he said to me, he says, I'd like to do something really special. I said, well, let's go. We're going to go noodle on it. See what, you know, we can come up with. Right. And it was a lot of people at the time. I was getting a lot of input. You know, we should do a, uh, uh, a car like a Viper. I mean, uh, we should do a car like a Corvette. We should do a car like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you know what the decision was? I said, look, guys, I don't want to be, I don't want to do a me too car. If we do a car like a Viper, we could do a car like a Viper, but guess what? It would be, we, we'd be called a me too. You mean car like Corvette. A Viper. Yeah. Corvette. I don't want to do a Corvette style car. You know, Corvette owns that market. I don't even want to, you know, I do not want to play in their uh, sandbox. Okay. I said, there's only one thing. And we went back through, I said, there's only one thing that's genuine Ford in the supercar world. <laughs> and that's the Ford GT or the GT 40. And he says. We've never nobody's ever built a sports car or you know a car like that. We don't you know it's not like we're going to go to a parts bin because we don't have a parts bin to build a car like that. Everything had to be done ground up. But we said you know what, I think we can you know we get we got a group together. I said I think we can pull it off. It's going to be tough. Now the real problem was uh, uh, was that the Centennial was in two thousand three. We didn't get the okay until. second quarter of 2002. <laughs> okay. Now think about it. We're going to, we're going to do a car we've never built before. Right. And we, in one year, the company wants to showcase these cars.
2: Yeah.
1: Jesus I mean, I mean, this is mind boggling, you know, the thing, but again, we, we, we put it to the team. We, we assembled the team and I had both teams. Actually, I ended up teams on two sides of the building. One was a GT team and I still had my SVT guys. Yeah. And we said, okay, we got to build one prototype for the Centennial, for sure. You got to have a car to show, you know, the, you know, the, the, you know, to wow the audience. Cause they had a big, I mean, they had Beyonce there that night at the Centennial. I mean, yeah, Wait, what, really? oh, they had thousands of people. It was a <laughs> yes, big show. She yeah. She was the main attraction, you know? <laughs> and anyhow, so then I decided, I said, well, look guys, uh, if we can do one, we can do three cars. And and my guy said to me, what do you want to do three prototypes for? I said, red, white, and blue. Hmm. You know, I was really on this patriotic, you know, (laughs) you know, this, this is not an Italian car. It's not an English car. It's not a, it's a, it's it's an American car. We're going to have three prototypes, red, white, and blue. And so we ended up doing, we ended up building those three cars. And I'll tell you, if you look at what we uh, launched at the Centennial, those cars for prototypes were pretty damn close to what the uh, final production cars actually looked like. I mean, they, they, we couldn't sell them. I mean, they weren't certified or anything, but they were, they were so close. And, uh, I mean, that group, that group really did a hell of a job, that team, they did, so they did a hell of a wasn't job. Wasn't
0: the, that. the final development, like the final, you know, the job time on it was it was like 24 or 26 months, 26 months, you yeah. know, 26 so months. That, that's nuts, especially for a car like that, especially for a car that's sorted, right. You know, yeah. the GT is a, you know, we're talking about something that had to meet for durability standards, quality standards, all down the line. But so you mentioned talking to your team about this and how, you know, you had a, how big was the team at the time that, that actually worked on that car?
1: Um, our team, well, what I, what I did there is I leveraged a lot of suppliers. Okay. So in, in the, in the actual, building, we probably had, I'm going to guess 160 people. Okay. And I'd say about 25 to 28 of them were Ford employees. Everybody else was okay. a supplier. I mean, the suppliers were just gaga. They get on. The, I mean, think about it. You're a supplier and you're being asked to work on a supercar like that. Right. So, you know, everybody, everybody was on site. I said, you know, we couldn't do this. We couldn't, the one thing that I always believed in, and we did it with the Mustang was co-location, a <laughs> dedicated co-located team. That's key. Because if, if every meeting requires I get in my car and go to this building or go to that state or go to that other city, and I mean, you're just wasting a lot of time commuting. I so said, if you're co-located and dedicated, there's only one thing that uh, is important to that team, and that is to get the car done. So we put everybody together. Our prototype shop was right next door, right? And uh, that's where the focus is. The focus is the product. And it, it, it works marvelously well, I mean, at least in my experience. Always, that's the way to do it. So Rather when you're having fragmented groups supporting you know, all over yeah. the place, you know.
0: So when you have that that so that two dozen core group of Ford people, how do you so you, you know you're you're up against a clock, you're up against metrics, right? It has to be as good as anything else in the world, but the numbers it has to be emotional. Well,
1: we, we knew what it had right. to be, and we right. we bought we bought the Modena, the, <laughs> the yeah the F three hundred and sixty yeah. And the other thing so, is, well, and I just just uh, clarify, please, where's the you know, the Modena was, I think, the finest sports car you could buy at the time. And it was just, it was, I don't know if you've ever driven a, a 360. 360. Yeah, they're great. Wonderful, wonderful car. Much better in the yeah. 355 that preceded it. Much better. <laughs> the three, To me, that was an outstanding car. And I said, that's it, guys. That's the image vehicle that we got to beat. We got to yeah. kick this car's ass in every possible uh, metric that we can. So. You know?
0: Okay. So if you know all of those things and you know where you have to go, you know, where you are, you know, what you're making, and yet, you know, that that pressure is like that pressure cooker of time is going to define the program. How do you, how do you talk to your people when there's so much on the line and so much pressure and chance for things to go wrong. And yet you want them to know that and be aware of that, but not feel that pressure and do their best. How do you, how do you Present well, that to them. How do you talk to them? Uh, well, every like I
1: said, we had a small group of Ford people that were guiding the program with the suppliers, yeah. but, but you wouldn't know if you walked into that room, you know you wouldn't know who was Ford and who was the suppliers. I mean, it was <laughs> it was just the GT team. Yeah. Um, I I used the thing called uh rather than having uh in the Ford system, normally you build a car, it gets evaluated for this. Every there's a whole sequence of events that has to go on. Well, we didn't have time for the sequence, so we just launched everything in parallel. <laughs> Everybody was, and you know, what we said, we all got to be here at a certain time. Everybody's got to show up with their stuff. Yeah. I don't care if it's the climate control, the engine. I mean, think about it. We even did an all new engine in that car.
0: So when you said launch and parallel, I mean, every single part of the car was running. Yeah. The, te- the teams forward.
1: all had their individual responsibilities. And it right. was just like, if if I had a liking to liken it to anything, ever see those, uh, uh, those land grabs, they did the Oklahoma land grabs with the kind yeah. of wagons and the guys say, okay, go. Yeah. It was like you launched a team. Excuse me, you launched just going the team. in all directions. Right. they all knew where they had to go. Right. And right. They just and, and you better get there in a certain time. And it was it. The team was empowered. Yeah. And everybody felt committed to the goal. I mean, there was no, there was no, there was nobody on that team it was, that it there was, there was, was good nobody on that team that we had to drag along. <laughs>
0: So, you know, there's this point, and and, and I'm I'm fascinated with all the stuff that goes on in our subconscious as we're making decisions, right? You Mm -hmm. know, the stuff that we're not actually thinking about, but that our brains are while we're doing other things. And there's this point, and, you know, people see it in relationships. They see it in, you know, like in car accidents. You see it where anything that we do ongoing, where you can kind of sniff out that something bad is about to happen, or alternatively, that something good is about to happen, right? The things are working out. Like I met my wife and I kind of, you know, you know, quietly early on. So the, the Ford GT is this, this, and it's, it's interesting too, because you look at the cars that have come out since in that realm from a bunch of different companies, including Ford. And none of them have quite hit that same emotional beat. It is this, this deeply relevant, deeply emotionally interesting, deeply compelling thing that happens to be a hell of a lot of fun to drive. And it looks great. And, you know, they are worth, you know, what they should be, if not, you know, going in the direction of being genuinely worth what they should be, but it's this landmark moment. Did you, uh, do you have any, do you have any inkling of that when the program was going together? It was just, we're going to make this great. It's going to be great. It's going to happen. Or do you realize in the process that it's turning into something more than just another car?
1: Well, we wanted to do a car. First off, like I say, we, we wanted to beat Ferrari, you know, Ford beat Ferrari in 66. Sure. Right. And racing we were going to do the best sports car value on the, on, on the road. And, uh, that was really our objective. And, uh, I'll give you an example here. Uh, we said uh, the original objective for the car was 500 horsepower. (laughs) Okay. And the team, you know what they did? They came back and they said, John, we got 550. (laughs) See, that's, I didn't push him to 550, but they knew that that was, you know, they knew more was better for me. Right. (laughs) Uh and that's the kind of stuff uh that you know in the Ford system, everybody tell you, well, we're we're at 498. We need more money to go do more testing to go do another manifold. That's the kind of nonsense you get in the in the mainstream. When yeah. it's a committed team like this and they all want to do a product that's exceptional, they actually brought more to the party than we asked for. Think about that. You know, I asked for 500, he gave me 550, right? Uh top speed, because they really did quite a bit on Arrow. Yeah. I sent a group off the Nardo. You know where Nardo is? The yeah, uh, test track yeah. in Southern Italy there? Yep, big bowl. So I sent a, you know, I sent a couple of young fellows who were on our prototypes there. You know, and every day they'd call me and say, well, what's the car doing? Uh, what's the car? Well, we're at 208.57. <laughs> we're at 209.7. I, and kept going, kept going. Finally, they got the 211.89. <laughs> I said, okay, guys, wrap it up. Come on home. Now we had already, we had already put the top speed at 205 because it's tire limited. Yeah. But I wanted to know what the car could actually do, you know, and Nardo, if you go to the Nardo, uh, you know, cause Nardo has all the, all the, all the history on yeah. all the cars that have ever been run there Right, two eleven point eight nine is what the four GT did. The guys, everybody wanted to do more than we had asked for. And that's the kind of group, that's the kind of group that's fun to work with. Right. Yeah. Everybody was committed to excelling, not just to meeting an objective, to beating the objectives.
0: It's it's, it's such an interesting interesting tweak, right? Because it gets back to something we talk about a lot here, which is the notion that so much of good management comes down to figuring out how to make your people care about what they're doing and then just like run and many times out of 10, 10, they'll surprise you and they'll do yes. more than they, they would have otherwise if you had micromanaged them or followed them or pointed them at every step, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: we're, We're unfortunately about out of time, but we have a minute for one more thing. We, we do this at the end of every episode here. We have this question. We ask everybody who comes on the show to kind of close things out. It's a simple thing, but the answers vary for everybody. And the answers that you give end up, the answer that you give ends up saying a lot about you. Right? So just, it's a one-line question. Just give the first answer that comes to mind. Sound good? Sure. Okay. So what's the first thing that goes through your head when things go wrong? could be a word, could be a feeling, could be a picture of a, anything.
1: Well, so something the first wrong thing is how to fix it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've passed the test. You are John Folletti. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, you got to fix it. I mean, you know. Thanks. That's a what is, that's a pretty good answer. You know, at uh, this topic of failure, I thought to myself, failure is not an option. <laughs> right.
0: It's, right. It's been a pleasure, John. Thank you for taking the time. Sam, my pleasure too.
1: Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it.